Doug Hughes and Daniel Sullivan sat down for an interview in March of 2006. I'm Hal Prince, a member of the Society of Stage Directors and Choreographers, and this is Masters of the Stage, produced and presented by the Stage Directors and Choreographers Foundation in collaboration with the American Theatre Wing. Because this program was not originally intended for broadcast, it is not of the highest technical quality. As a result, portions of the conversation may have been edited. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Manhattan Theater Club. Um, and this evening with Dan Sullivan and Doug Hughes. On behalf of everyone at MTC, I just want to welcome you to our theater. Uh, we're sitting on the set of Defiance, directed by, coincidentally, Doug Hughes, uh, though we might have done this on our Biltmore stage, where Rabbit Hole, directed by Dan Sullivan, is currently running. Uh, we're thrilled to have you here tonight. Uh, I've had the great honor of working very closely with these two gentlemen of the theater, uh, and I think we have a real treat in store for you tonight, hearing about their experience, their process, and their, their thoughts on, on directing. Uh, they are certainly two men who need no introduction, but in the spirit of being professional, uh, I will give each of them one. Um, Dan, as you know, is among the most prolific and gifted theater artists in the country. He was the artistic director of Seattle Rep from 1981 until 1997, where he directed over 60 plays and launched their new play program. He is a fixture in the New York theater scene. His productions are among the most memorable, notable, and critically acclaimed, both on and off Broadway. To name just a few, his credits include I'm Not Rappaport, A Moon for the Misbegotten, The Heidi Chronicles, which of course won a Pulitzer Prize, Dinner with Friends, which won a Pulitzer Prize, Proof, also a Pulitzer Prize winner, The Return from Moscow, Brooklyn Boy, Third, and Rabbit Hole, among many, many others. He's received every major honor a theater director can receive, including four Tony nominations and a win for proof. Doug is, by any breathing person's account, the busiest man in the theater at this moment in time. This season alone, he's directed McReel, Naked Girl on the Appian Way, Touch of the Poet, The Paris Letter, and Defiance, and is about to start rehearsals, if he hasn't already, for The House in Town. He is an associate artist at The Roundabout and a resident director for MCC, and he was the artistic director of Long Wharf Theater from 1996 until 2001. He, too, has received every honor in the American theater, including two Callaway Awards, which is probably very familiar to all of you SSDC folk in the room, um, up to and including a Tony Award for his direction of last season's Doubt, produced by the Manhattan Theater Club, still running at the Walter Kerr. You can buy your tickets. His many other credits include Othello, An Experiment with an Air Pump, Engaged, Flesh and Blood, and Frozen, among many others. Please join me in welcoming Dan Sullivan and Doug Hughes. So we have 90 minutes here together, and each of you has a microphone. So grab one and let's jump in. Um, in doing my research to prepare for tonight, um, I was struck by the fact that, Dan, um, you began your career as a uh, director. In fact, I learned you were the first person to act upon the, the Lincoln Center Theater Beaumont stage in 1965. And of course, Doug, you are the son of two of our great actors, uh, Bernard Hughes and Helen Stenborg. Am I ever going to escape You're that? <laughs> well, we all remember your Tony Award-winning speech. We talked about Dan's parents for a while. Sure. <laughs> What did they do to you as a child that made you want to go into the theater? Um, 
So I was struck just that you both have very deep ties, deep roots with and to acting. Um, and I wondered if you could just talk a little bit about the seminal moment for you, by which I mean perhaps a production that signified to you that you were a director. And what was the sort of sense of vocation and that calling that you remember uh, as marked in time by, by a show? Okay. Um, I think, I, I don't know what the seminal moment was, but I know as an actor, I would uh, catch myself on stage being much more interested in what the actors were doing uh, uh, professionally than what they were doing as their characters. Uh, so uh, I, I learned very early that that, uh, um, that particular distraction uh, had to do with really wanting to somehow get that person further upstage <laughs> or, <laughs> or rethink that uh, a character's performance. Uh, so I, I was, um, I guess, maybe a little bored with the singular nature of the art of acting. That is the sort of self-focus. Um, I couldn't stay focused. I was just too distracted by all the other elements going on. That was... That was it. Doug. I guess I have to talk about my parents. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but I do remember, and I hadn't thought about this in a long, long time, but I, um, when I was at an undergraduate, I ran a little theater uh, that produced work uh, written by students. Um, there was no such outlet, and it seemed like a, a great thing to do. And I, I would produce in them, and I would act in them. And I was acting in a surreal musical called American in Purgatory at uh, the Agassiz uh, Theater, and my parents all came up, my parents and my sister, uh, came up to see my performance in the leading role in this musical. And they took me out to the worst house restaurant uh, in, uh, in Harvard Square. And they told me in no uncertain terms that my work in the show was indulgent and uh, kind of disgraceful um, and uh, so self-absorbed and so lacking in service to the play and to the other uh, uh, actors sharing the stage with me that I began to reconsider my career as a performer. I'd say that's pretty seminal. And, <laughs> and I directed a play. I directed a show uh, the next year. And I did find that um, I, I simply preferred myself uh, uh, as, a, as a director. It was a little review. Mark O'Donnell, who wrote the book for Hairspray, and I wrote uh, most of it, and uh, because I couldn't find any good material, so I thought, you know, short pieces, and we put them together, and we did this uh, review, and I, I enjoyed it deeply, and uh, I did find uh, uh, in cobbling that together and, and working with the actors and removing myself from the equation of performance that uh, I preferred myself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Dan, I'm just struck by the way you sort of define the singular act, the singular uh, art of acting, because I think everyone in the room, with all due respect to acting and actors, understands what you mean by that. I, I'd be curious to know if you could both talk a little bit about, I guess, what the plural art of directing is and, and kind of 
what you can name as its as its uh, definition. And, and I say this because I think we have a mixed group uh, here, and I'm sure there are many directors among us, and I'm sure there are many non-directors among us. And I think it's sometimes tricky to know exactly what we're talking about. What what are those elements, and what are the elements of directing that are most attractive to you? Uh, <laughs> I think it changes. Uh, show to show. I, I, I would define it differently for virtually everything I do. Um, the the uh, production I just did, Rabbit Hole, uh, took a, a, an extraordinary amount of just sort of uh, trust uh, um, established in the room. Uh, I don't particularly like to block a show uh, because I like to use actors' impulses. So... Um, finding uh, a way to free the actors uh, so uh, that they could get in touch with those impulses was sort of the, the uh, initial job and spending the first week at a table where you're just exploring the nature of the relationships and sort of building a subtext. Uh, the play I'm doing now, Stuff Happens, David Hare's play about the run-up to the Iraq War is all about the choreography uh, it's a huge piece with uh, about 300 scenes, I would say. Uh, uh, so it's all about how we move it. It's about a kind of urgency. Uh, and you assume that the people in the room have come there because they believe in the idea. Uh, uh, it's a kind of agitprop piece. Uh, but we work in a completely different way, and my responsibilities are very, very different from what they would be on a completely naturalistic piece like Rabbit Hole. Uh, so I let the play itself dictate the fundamentals of the directing. Do you want to take a stab at that one? You know, I, I do... Uh, I said I've done, you know, done a variety of work. I like to think of myself as a... Uh, a polymath, a kind of uh, food from many lands kind of guy when it comes to the repertoire I do. But I do, I'll speak emotionally about this. I, I mean, I like to be with the actors. Uh, that's, I, uh, to be in their company is really what has uh, led me, I think, uh, to it. Just these small world. Isn't it in, in Fanny and Alexander a couple of times the, like the, the, the kind of terrible actor-manager brother who dies early in the picture speaks very m movingly about the small world of, of the rehearsal hall. And no matter how huge the project is, whether you know, you're doing Henry V out in Central Park or you're doing a play with uh, a number of uh, uh, scenes that you need to storyboard. As I, and I have done that. I have storyboarded an entire production, this uh, uh, play of, uh, uh, based on a Michael Cunningham novel, Flesh and Blood. Or whether um, you're doing a play like uh, Frozen, which was all about transitions, but was all about the most uh, uh, unthinkable transactions. Um, it really is... I, I consider myself... Uh, a member of the audience who gets to talk back. And uh, I think that that's an incredible privilege. Um, that uh, to, uh, because, you know, isn't it true that, you know, when, when people are shaken awake and asked um, what their greatest fear is, they, they will tell you that it is speaking in public. 
my my uh, anxiety level just rose considerably. Um, that uh, that that to get up on just a little stage like this, and and to face a group of strangers and try to testify or enact life takes such courage, and um, and it's it's the promotion of that that I think is is my primary uh, uh, responsibility. Uh, uh, it, it sounds so simple, it sounds uh, so basic, and there's so many ways uh, to go about it. But I, uh, I do think that people come to the theater to see actors. I don't think they come to see the work of directors. I mean, even the greatest auteur directors, people I adore and admire, like Lepage and Brooke, at basis, I don't think they come to see the work of authors. Mm-hmm. I think they come to see their fellow beings at, at risk in front of them on, on the stage. And, and it's such a curious new job. It directed. actually, it, it kind of goes to the heart, actually, of another question I wanted to throw out to you guys. And, and it's, it's very closely related, which is to say, you know, I think uh, we all say that, you know, the theater is the art primarily of the writer, that somehow the writer is still king in this art form, and it's an art form that really does privilege the position of the writer in the process. Whereas, for example, film is really considered, I think at this point in time, a director's medium. Uh, and so, you know, given that, and and I think even in, in, in response to your great love of being in a room with actors and, you know, enjoying the privilege of working with those actors, I'm curious to know why the stage for you as a director, as opposed to film or as, a, as opposed to television, what is it about what happens up here that is appealing to you as a storyteller, as an artist? You notice how I keep picking up the microphone and Doug holds on to his microphone? <laughs> Do you need some direction as to how you should proceed? That's it. Well, the great thing about the theater is that I can now change my mind and I can hold my microphone now. <laughs> uh, and uh, it, with film, you can't do that. You have to have it all. You do it in your head. You do it on paper. You don't have time to change your mind at all. And the great thing about the theater is you have a rehearsal period uh, in which you can explore and deepen the work uh, um, uh, so that the, the time spent in the room with the actors actually finally means something as opposed to uh, just getting it in front of the camera and moving on. Uh, I did one movie, and it, it was just a terrible experience because I remember I think the first day I said... Um, you know, I think this should be at the other end of the room, this scene. <laughs> and, of course, they're all trained to just do what you say. So four hours later, we shot the scene because it took them that long to turn everything around, lighting and do it at the other end of the room. So I was already a day behind by the time, after the first day. Whereas in the theater, we're just pillars of efficiency. We get things done so quickly. I know you're speaking specifically of our team here at MTC. Um, I think it would be interesting to spend a minute, too, for the um, early career directors in the room. I, I know I am frequently approached by directors to say, you know, what, what opportunities are available for me at your theater? And, but for a few, I'm, I'm often at a loss. We, we have directors assist other directors, um, but the trajectory for becoming a director is this very, I think, mysterious 
one. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about your training, both formal and informal, um, as directors. And I'd also be curious to know who uh, your early influences were and who were the directors. I mean, you mentioned, of course, Robert Lepage and was it Peter Brook as favorites. I don't know if they were also influences, but I, I just I think it'd be interesting for everyone. <laughs> Um, you know, I had no formal, uh, I had no credentials whatsoever. I have no training. Um, I was a, uh, I was a, bio, I was a biology major. And, uh, and that, and when I, at, at, at college, there was no, um, academic credit, uh, given for work in the theater. And I, I actually, uh, I'm kind of, uh, perversely proud of that fact, uh, that, that, uh, I started my little company when I was in, you know, my teens and twenties at college, and I, uh, because it was considered unglamorous, I uh, to do these projects written by my my colleagues at school, I, I began to um, direct them, and I'd had enough encouragement uh, during uh, my college years that very very bumptiously I decided I would I just wouldn't go to drama school, and um, uh, I I. Tried to hire myself out as a, a, an apprentice, a, an assistant, and uh, I found it an absolutely fantastic thing to do to essentially be a backbencher. You know, when that that moment—it's always happening in rehearsal. It happens in every rehearsal where something goes awry, where the room fills up with the uh, odor of this isn't working, and. <laughs> Uh, and something must be done. Something must be said. Uh, the temperature must be changed. Something must be redirected. Something must be acknowledged. And uh, you, for that period, when you're working as an assistant, are not the one who has to get to their feet and wade in. You can watch some other guy or some other woman walk up and wade in. And you can make decisions about whether that's the way you would wade in, or in fact, whether you would have waded in at that, at that moment. I, it was an incomparable thing to do. I worked with lots of, of very good people. I, I assisted George Abbott, for God's sake, on a, on a, you know, a, a, a little uh, farce. Amazing thing uh, to do. I worked for Marshall Mason. I worked for uh, Lynn Meadow. I worked for uh, uh, you know, a fantastic guy who teaches at Brooklyn College now. Uh, named Tom Bullard uh, on a beautiful Ethel Fugard play. And all the time I was just trying to do my own stuff. And, and my friend Mark O'Donnell wrote a play, and I took it to uh, Andre Bishop, and he was just starting to run Playwrights Horizons, and it, it was astonishing. Uh, we did a reading, and, and he, let, he let me do it. Um, but, you know, by, I, I got, and I had I'd been, I got great encouragement. I won this grant from the NEA, and I, you know, it, it seemed like, hey, my government thinks I can direct. Uh, <laughs> and um, I, um, and I, uh, I, I went to the Manhattan Theatre Club, and I directed some, uh, I used to call them hunchbacked new plays. I directed a play by Edward Bond. I uh, read scripts. I worked on casting. It was a, it was job, but I, I was about 28 years old, and I'd never directed a play by uh, a dead author. I'd never directed a play in a theater with a curtain. I'd never directed a play in a theater with its own real uh, costume shop. I'd never, and I thought, 
now, you know, when I, I cast about and kind of serendipitously, and this is where this evening gets terribly sentimental, I got a job working for Dan Sullivan. I became the associate artistic director at, uh, at the Seattle Repertory Theater. And we ha Dan had this great program for new plays. And I did get to direct Ibsen and Shakespeare and Ostrovsky and Kaufman and Hart. And I, I went out there thinking, oh, this will be some kind of lark, you know, for a couple of years. And I stayed uh, for a decade. And it, it, that's where I learned how to direct, if, in fact, I know how now. But, that, but it was an extraordinary thing. And it was an extraordinary thing to have... Uh, and I, 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 uh, I will wax sentimental here, but, uh, you know, uh, that to have somebody who could look at a scene, my an esteemed colleague, and not say, well, I don't know, I don't know about this, I think about that, this thing doesn't think, but to say, you know what, here are two things you should look at carefully. An unerring instinct for the, the deep structure of a scene, or uh, the clearest impulse I might have had that I wasn't quite sure about myself yet, about how a, a production uh, should work. And, um, and I was being trusted with a big stage and some wonderful actors and people who were better than I was. And uh, I'm very grateful for that. I'm hoping you'll answer that same question, and then we can talk a little bit about... You'll wax sentimental about this one. Oh, you won't wax sentimental. I'm the sentimental guy here. We'll get him to wax. Well, I went to school. I went to uh, um, San Francisco State, and um, uh, it, w it was a sort of big acting factory. There were just productions being done constantly. I... Uh, directed the campus capers, you know, the, the musicals that we sort of made up every year. Uh, um, uh, so I sort of got my feet wet pretty early. Um, and uh, then when we came here, I was at Lincoln Center in that acting company, and I wasn't doing very much because I was sort of weird and hard to cast. And I was hanging around, and uh, Jules Irving, uh, that they were doing a... Uh, it was Pete Gurney's first play, Scenes for American Life. And they fired the director after about a week and a half. And uh, Jules Irving uh, saw that I was on the payroll and I wasn't working. <laughs> so he said, you, you think you know what you're doing. Why don't you take over? So I did. And uh, it just happened to be this wonderful cast, uh, James Broderick, uh, uh, Martha Henry it was just an amazing group of actors and uh, a great way to um, but I came in as an actor amongst other actors and we just sort of nudged each other around a little bit it was a perfect way to work actually uh, um, they knew what my instincts were as an actor and they knew that I would never say anything to an actor that I wouldn't want said to myself as an actor. Uh, uh, so a trust developed there, I think. And um, that, that was a lesson, I think, that I... Yeah, no, it's good so, sense. Yeah. 
Um, and now, you can be as ruthlessly unsentimental or as sentimental <laughs> as you choose, but I actually would be curious to know, what what did you see in da- in Doug at the time when you hired him? <laughs> <laughs> well, Doug that- was out in, in Seattle, and, you know, I've always said, well, it, it's one of the sort of catch-22s for directors, that you, you have to see the work. Before, as an artistic director, I would say, oh, you have to see the work. And not only do you have to see the work once, you have to see it a couple of times so you get a sense of what the aesthetic of the director is uh, before you uh, uh, hire them. And, and uh, Doug came in, he talked to me, and just instinctively, not having seen the work at all, uh, I thought, this guy, I know he can convince me. I, I know he should, would be able to convince actors. So I gave him the job. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was uh, just, and I don't even feel it was in any way a sense of, well, he thinks the same way I do, because, in fact, we don't, I think, in a lot of ways. But uh, um, it was in a way that there was a challenging nature there also. Uh, that, uh, and a sophisticated nature that I thought, this is, it's like casting. Just go for it. Yeah. So that's what we did. Um, while we're on the topic of, of Seattle rap and, and regional theaters, um, you've both, you've worked at one together, you've run them independently of one another. Can we talk a little bit about um, being an artistic director, being a directing artistic director, uh, which is to say an artistic director who directs as opposed to what I'll be someday, an artistic director who does not, thankfully, direct. Um, what, are the, um, what, are, what are the challenges? I mean, what, is, what does it mean to sort of wear both of those hats as a creative producer and as a director simultaneously, both when you are working solely in the capacity of a producer with another director, but then when you're directing at your own theater? Who, who fills that, those shoes for you, and who, who becomes your soundboard in those instances? Well, I did. I mean, I had a sort of kitchen cabinet, you know, when I ran uh, uh, the Long Wharf Theatre, and uh, I had uh, an associate uh, director. Um, but I, uh, you know, an artistic director is a director who is interested in the work of other artists, of other of other uh, directors. And uh, and while I was there, I, w- I was able actually to get. Uh, people who were, you know, working on shows there, because we, we had two of them, and uh, we weren't far from New York, to come up and, and take a look at things while I, uh, I was working on them. Um, sometimes I, uh, I have to confess that uh, I didn't... It was a great relief not to have to show anybody anything in a run-through and just do the damn thing and put it out there. Uh, which I, I guess I did uh, many times, uh, but my God, there's, there's never any shortage of opinions. I mean, uh, you know, everyone will. And I'm, I'm, I've grown happy to listen to people's opinions. I mean, sometimes I do it while I'm cowering in the dark, but I do listen, and I think there's that great, uh, you know, listen to everybody and then do what you want to do. I, uh, which I, which I don't think is a glib phrase. I think it's a fantastic, uh, bit of advice. I think, I think it might be from, uh, Kazan. I'm not sure. Um, but the, uh, 
you know, I, I think it's a wonderful thing to do in life. I, uh, and I don't, I think that the, uh, the political and administrative uh, job of, of running a theater and uh, the cost emotionally and financially of resting these operations from uh, an economy, a society, and a government that is not particularly encouraging of, of uh, said operations uh, really deepens uh, your sense of, uh, of privilege and responsibility. Uh, when you go to uh, to work, uh, I would I wouldn't have missed it uh, that experience. I think as a um, um, a directing artistic director, I always thought, thank God uh, we can go into the rehearsal room every now and then. Uh, certainly, when Doug and I were working together, uh, uh, if I was working on something, Doug would do the day to day. Uh, and vice versa. Uh, um, but um, I sometimes worry about people who are just artistic directors and actually don't get to do that. That's, that's very hard. Um, I, I think one of the problems with artistic directors is what you point out. I think there is an isolation there occasionally. Um, and yes, there are always opinions. Uh, but that isolation can leave you very much on your own uh, uh, a bit more often yeah. than you might want to be. And very often, you're also playing to the same group of people constantly, the same audience constantly. Uh, uh, who uh, And even their responses become predictable after a while. Uh, so, you know, one of the things that we tried to do in, in Seattle was continue to shake that up. And are there, uh, this is again on a related note, um, you know, I think the presumption, of course, in asking that question is that, you know, working with artistic directors happens in the not-for-profit. You've both also, obviously, also directed in the commercial arena where there is no such person. I'm curious to know, are there differences in the process of directing a play, of putting a play on in, in those two different arenas? And can you speak to what those are as it impacts the director a little bit, if, if they exist at all? Well, there's the, you know, there's the commercial producer when you're doing commercial plays. So there's just another voice uh, in the room uh, that has to be satisfied. And though you try never to get it to that point uh, uh, where, you know, as a director, for instance, when you're going into casting, uh, uh, um, uh, the producer does, uh, commercially, the producer does have a, a strong voice, a veto power within what you're doing. Uh, so um, you have to be very careful who you're working with, <laughs> you know? uh, uh, and you have to understand. There has to be an understanding beforehand about what we're looking for before you would even go into it. You know? uh, I don't know if you've had this experience, Doug, but I know people have approached me in the past, uh, producers who have just had very bad ideas, and I thought I just don't want to work with them because it'll just come to grief. You know? Yes, I, I think I, you know quickly whether uh, you usually know much more quickly uh, than you acknowledge to yourself whether it's going to go well. I mean, I'm comparatively, uh, you know, I'm a, uh, even though I'm hurtling toward the grave, I, I haven't uh, had lots of uh, uh, experience uh, with commercial production. Uh, there've been plays that have transferred. And uh, so the, the production is finished. And now, you know, uh, for a time, uh, yes, uh, 
projects come to me, and they come to me with a list of actors, some of them extraordinary actors, uh, that uh, a producer believes uh, uh, he or she can uh, uh, float the finance for the production on. And uh, we face that practical problem together. So I, 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 don't have, I have not yet had uh, a, a professional horror story about uh, a barbaric commercial producer. I, I, the, the people I've been lucky to work with, enough to work with, have been... Uh, uh, I mean, uh, I feel vulgar alongside many of them. So, yeah. Um, there's... Uh... I think there's a there's a question that I think every I think people are often interested to sort of talk a bit about, which is you know the differences uh, of between uh, for a director working on a a play by a living writer, as you were saying when you went to Seattle Rep, uh, you had only ever worked with living writers, uh, versus uh, as a director working on plays that are either classics or revivals where the writer is not present for, for whatever reason. Um, and, you know, I kind of wanted to leap into this subject, but it's so bloody general that uh, I just figured that we it's, there's a better way to come at it because having you talk about this in general terms is like asking a surgeon to talk about, like, a liver transplant in general terms. They probably go slightly differently every time. Um, so to that end, and in my interest of being sort of Jim Lipton-esque this evening, uh, I wanted to play a little game, and I, I <laughs> but it may crash and burn, and then we'll abandon it, but... And now the same lawn <laughs> as Chekhov would have mowed it. Uh, <laughs> what, uh, <laughs> what are we going to do here? So what we're going to do is... I reached out to some of your living collaborators uh, and asked them to say something about you and the process of working with you, what you bring to the table as directors, and what your process is, um, because it's probably better said from them than it is from you. Um, but I'm hoping you'll say something in response after you've guessed who said it. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> so we'll just leap in. And again, if it crashes and burns, we'll just change tracks. So Doug has an amazing ability to read the text of a play as a score, not only the arching themes, but its most minute phrases. He understands how emphasizing the wrong word, the wrong syllable, alters the value of the exchange. And he transmits that to actors so that everyone shares in a very precise understanding of the play that roots the performance. He also brings to the room an air of, here's a word I wouldn't use, but Doug might, jollity. With his delightfully archaic vocabulary and inscrutable accent in service to a really penetrating wit... Doug seems to me to belong to a tradition of people in total control of their so-called eccentricity, by which I mean when he refers to someone as smarty knickers, he knows what he's doing. Richard Greenberg. You got it, babe. <laughs> Richard Greenberg. Can you talk a little bit about the work you've done with Richard this year? Well, I've just done it. You know, we're in pre-production with a, a, a play now, and... Um, well, we're, we're, we're along with it because uh, we're getting into the casting finished and, uh, and it's a very, very different play uh, than, than the one I did. You know, we did a, a boulevard uh, uh, comedy, uh, which Richard, I think, would, would say, oh, I, you know, I wrote this play with my left hand, uh, this play called Naked Girl in the Appian Way, which I was just thrilled uh, to do. I mean, we, we, we were, you know, ridden out of town nearly on a rail for doing it. But I was a... a, a 
you know, delightful show, and I, 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 I really enjoyed loved. it. Uh, That's what we say no, when the notices are bad. I was back. there. Um, <laughs> I was there. I laughed my way through. The, um, but anyway. Um, but, you know, Richard, uh, again, I, I think, uh, uh, I love, uh, I've said this in connection with Rich, about Richard, but I, I really, you know, Dan and I produced a show, uh, you know, a play of his called Eastern Standard, and this great guy, Michael Engler, directed it years ago. And I, I met this guy, and I, I really did feel like Holden Caulfield in uh, Catcher in the Right. You know, when I read a book, when I read a play, and I really like it, I want to call the person who wrote it up. I want to be able to see them. And that's another privilege uh, of my job. And I find uh, uh, my uh, discussions with Richard, which are uh, uh, just uh, uh, go hither and yon, uh, helter, skelter, uh, you know, roundabout, uh, are, are so um, exhilarating uh, to me. I feel that that's a great way for me to... Uh, uh, achieve the, the kind of climate of expertise required when, when I go uh, uh, to work on the play. And, um, and we spoke, uh, you know, we do go through the play rather thoroughly. Uh, I mean, who, who wouldn't, who doesn't? Uh, you know, I, I find that I have this uh, enormous uh, uh, resource uh, beside me. And I also have, and I, and I do believe that there does come a time where, as his advocate, as his friend, as the member of the audience who gets to speak back, I can say, you know, I'm not so sure, or uh, this, uh, you, this isn't helping you, or uh, perhaps uh, we need to uh, uh, redistribute this. Uh, I mean, these are all very nuts and bolts uh, practical matters, but I, um, uh, you know, the, the the work that we're doing on on house in town uh, is um, is just different because the play is different. The the uh, uh, the timbre of the play is different. Uh, the it's a uh, the Appian Way play was a staggeringly contemporary work. Uh, this play is uh, um, a period play. There's there's a different underground river on which to uh, uh, paddle in this play. He, I, I think Richard contains uh, multitudes, and I'm, I'm just, you know, happy to be in his company. And he yours. Next quotation. I really couldn't tell you what Dan's quote-unquote process is, or if he has one. From my perspective, Dan just seemed to come in every day and make 20 very, very good decisions. The decision seemed to be informed solely by the desire to serve the text and to equip the actors to give truthful performances. He did that every day for six weeks, and the result was a beautiful production. There was no bullshit, no drama in the rehearsal room. He manages to be at once wholly professional and no nonsense and very relaxed and accommodating. I have no idea how. William Congreve. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. Could you speak about your relationship and collaboration with Sir Congreve? I have no idea. You had a very fruitful collaboration with him on this very stage. And then uh, later oh, at the Walter oh. Kerr. Uh, uh, okay. Auburn. David, David Auburn. Auburn. Yeah. Uh, 
So what am I supposed to say? Just talk about your collaboration with David <laughs> Auburn on Proof. What was well, David, that? David was uh, uh, kind of green. It had had a lot of shows done. And uh, so he was sort of nervous and a little naive about the process. <laughs> Uh, uh, I think I mentioned I do a, at least a week around the table um, just trying to get people to the point where they know who they are and what their impulses could be so that when you stand up to start blocking. And one of the ways that I do that is I'm a sort of interlocutor and I ask questions. And uh, I ask questions of the writer uh, to help build the story, the backstory or the connectedness between characters. And David was, uh, in the first couple of days, he got very, very nervous about these questions because he didn't really have the He felt, I have to have the answer to this, and I don't really have the answer to this. And was, was, was I suggesting a change by asking this question? And they weren't really. So he, he finally sort of got on board, but the whole process of sitting at the table uh, uh, was a completely unfamiliar one to him. Uh, the, the, uh, we spoke very little. I realized that David really didn't really much want to get into it. The script was the script. And there were very few actual changes in that text from day one to the end. Uh, it, it was very well built and uh, um, the very few, we made a lot of just sort of technical changes to it, just to be able to get from one scene to the other. Um, but the, the piece did not change that much. So, so uh, and David uh, didn't have that much curiosity, uh, didn't want to actually have to stay in the room as uh, terribly much, wanted to come into the room. Uh, he was unlike... Someone like David Auburn or Wendy Wasserstein, uh, these were people who wanted to be there every hour of every day, including the tech rehearsal. David Lindsay Bear. Uh, um, yeah. That you know that that uh, um, to be sort of not not in order to intrude, but simply there to to be of service. Uh, David much preferred to go away and come back and see what had happened in the meantime. Um. Excellent. Excellent window into your process. <laughs> All right. You ready? Yeah. If you're going to let some guy direct your play, you should be confident in his judgment and his intelligence. But most of all, you should feel comfortable with his taste. His taste, if it's not good, will wear you out. His taste, if it's good, will augment you. Both Doug and Dan have good taste. Shanley. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to try an accent, but it didn't seem worth it. You want to start? Well, no, I, um, you know, I had a great, uh, John Shanley was the house manager at the uh, Manhattan Theater Club when I worked there years and years and years ago. It was an old Manhattan Theater Club. Not the unspeakably glamorous Manhattan Theater Club that we know today, but the uh, Manhattan Theater Club on East 73rd Street. And uh, it was a great scene then. Uh, I mean, Lynn and Barry were running. It was fantastic and all sorts of... It, it's fantastic now, but there was, you know, it was wonderful uh, uh, rehearsals in every room on every floor of this old, you know, Czech 
meeting hall. And John was the house manager, and um, and we talked about his plays uh, then. And uh, I never got around to doing one of them then. And years later, he, I, about ten years ago, I did two one act plays of his uh, at at Louisville, and um, I thought they went really well, and they did go well. It was I did uh, did all right by them. But when they were done in New York, he decided he wanted to direct them, and. Um, that was fine. It was done, you know, we were friendly and we'd see each other and bump into each other. And then uh, he sent me, uh, uh, he came to see um, Frozen, I guess it was. And he sent me uh, the play uh, uh, Doubt. And I, I, I really did know I wanted to do the play after I read, uh, I've said this elsewhere, but I, the, I read, I knew I was going to do the play after the first, I read the first sentence of it. And um, uh, and uh, the play had an act break at that time, and it was uh, and there was uh, one idea I had about uh, the first scene in which you met uh, Sister Aloysius, and there was uh, one little idea I had about uh, a, a loop in the in the uh, uh, final confrontation between uh, the priest Flynn and Aloysius. And uh, the play was, the reading was done of it, and uh, we, d- uh, we decided that we would do it with no act break. And those slight uh, changes uh, occurred, and, um, and John did not. Uh, uh, you know, John and Richard, I mean, this is a great luxury. I mean, John and Richard, and I think it's a thrilling thing to know, I mean, because there's so many odds against the idea of just... Becoming an experienced professional playwright. There are so few opportunities. So some people like John and Richard have uh, uh, been tenacious. Uh, they've overcome incredible discouragement. They've dealt with profound encouragement, which at times can be uh, equally uh, rugged. And they do their work. They are playwrights. They know how to make these things. And there's something fantastic about, uh, and, and productive of confidence, of course, for all the actors and, um, and, and for the director. And there's an, an ethic uh, behind their work. I don't know how else to uh, uh, describe it. And, and uh, John would, we spent about three days around the table. John went away, and when I had an assembly of, of the play, you know, in some kind of ramshackle form, but, you know, was stumbled through, as we uh, like to say, uh, he came to see it. And he'd see, he saw a couple of those in the hall, and, uh, and then he came to a couple of previews. And the rest is history. Uh, well, yes. no, I mean, <laughs> just put on a show, and, uh, I mean, it was, a, it was a, I had a great, uh, I mean, and, you know, and, and we worked, uh, somewhat harder, uh, you know, in terms of revision of text uh, uh, into previews uh, on, on this play. Yep. We're just going to do a couple more. As a director and dramaturg, I'd liken Dan Sullivan to a seasoned surgeon who knows how to extract the diseased tissue from a patient without destroying the integrity of the body. <laughs> Measured and precise, he is masterful at asking questions that help elucidate text, both for actor and... 
and turning the page, and the writer. He isn't prone to excess when speaking or when directing, so when he talks, you listen. And when he directs, you pay attention to even the smallest details on stage. He doesn't just direct, he guides. And it is the guidance that permits you as an artist to explore your own craft without feeling impeded. I, why can't I recognize these people? I want to work with them again, though. I can tell you that. Whoever they are. You, en it's, you enjoyed a very fruitful collaboration with her uh, at the Roundabout last season. Oh, Lynn yes. Nottage. Oh, Lynn Nottage. Oh, Lynn. Yes. On Intimate Apparel. Yes. Uh, um, you know, that was a wonderful experience. And she's a wonderful writer, and I'm looking for more from her. Uh, um, uh, she was, again, she was very, very much like Wendy. Um, in, in both the uh, carefulness and exactness of her craft, her attentiveness to everything that went on in rehearsals, wanting to be there at all times, learning, soaking it up from the actors, uh, um, um, very uh, self-critical. And I think that's one of the great things that uh, Doug was talking about, um, uh, about both Shanley and Greenberg is that they listen very carefully to what they write. They have very good ideas about how to fix problems that they have. Um, and... Uh, uh, they have extraordinarily original voices. I was looking at a, a collection of Shanley short plays, and I thought, my God, how he, he manages somehow to keep that voice alive uh, um, from the you know very earliest plays all, all the way through doubt. There's a kind of vitality and a kind of extraordinarily, extraordinary reach in all of those plays. And I think that same ambition is there in Greenberg, and, and Lynn has it, too. Yeah. 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 Okay, one more. Working with Doug Hughes on my play was like having someone who was capable of walking into my head on a stormy night and turning on various lamps in all the dusty, dark, forgotten corners. I had the luxury of working and talking about the play with Doug for almost a year before the actual production, which allowed me to create several new drafts with him as my sounding board, each of which he read and responded to with thorough, incisive, enlightening comments. He made the effort to read up on the various political topics that the play touched on, recommended plays and articles for me to refer to, forced me to improve underwritten characters, and helped me wrestle with the fundamental question of exactly whose play it was. Uh, it's Stephen Bell. You are good. You win. <laughs> I thought I just thought his comment was interesting because it goes to the sort of kind of preparation I certainly know you to be uh, masterful with in, in sort of bringing together all kinds of incredibly detailed research and really bringing that to bear on a production. Well, I think I, it's uh, just an antidote to anxiety, of course. I mean, that, that I, I do, uh, I, I find, you know, I was going to say, I was going to, I was thinking about, actually, I really gave this evening some thought. And, um, and I was thinking about the first time that I ever um, uh, was going to direct a play in New York, and I was terribly, terribly self-conscious about how young I was. I was, I was 23 years old, and I was directing, you know, I was over at Playwrights Horizons, which had, you know, until about six weeks before had been a, you know, a pole dancing emporium. But still, you know, it was a job. And Andre Bishop was there, <clears throat> and the actors would come in and read, and they were fantastic people coming in. I mean, Christine Lottie came in and read, and Jeff Daniels came in and read, and, and you know... 
And I remember a, a wonderful actor, Pat Richardson, who was on a television program, big TV star she became on a big television program anyway. And, uh, and I, uh, I was so intimidated by and that she, it was in auditions with her. And I thought, well, yes, that was fantastic, but I'd love it if, you know, I wanted to ask her, you know, the, can I give the adjustment? Let's give an adjustment in the audition. And I walked up to her, and I was so self-conscious about it, and I was trying to be terribly quiet so nobody else in the room could hear what the hell I was saying, because I wasn't sure what I was going to say. And I said, Pat, you know, I'm wondering if perhaps, you know, maybe, possibly... I couldn't look her in the eye, I, you know, just so I knew she'd know I was a fraud instantly. And I, you know, if you wouldn't mind, I mean, possibly, in some way, you might think of trying it. And she, and she craned around. And I, I always loved that. I mean, I, you know, we had a great time. I did cast her in that part. But I, I mean, just the antidote, there's so much anxiety in those rooms about whether you have the right to be there, whether uh, you will say the thing that uh, frees up the next five, the next ten minutes, the next month, uh, if you're lucky, the next several months. <clears throat> and anything that you know, helps... Uh, uh, prepare one for the reduction of that anxiety, I, I find very, very useful. And I mean, I, I've been working for a couple of years now with this incredible uh, Mark Schneider, who is my associate and a fantastic director in his own right. <clears throat> and we, we prepare a kind of case book on ev everything uh, we do. Uh, and I, I do find it... Uh, just furnishes me with a kind of climate of, of expertise. Some of it is expendable, or some of it will never be used except, you know, when the conversation lags at a dinner party. But some of it comes in uh, handy. And, 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 you know, why do we put these things on? Anyway, we're, they're there to rehearse us for the adventure of our own life. And, and the, the referent to... Uh, the, the, the theater makes one pay attention uh, in a way that, that is satisfying to me because I find uh, our attention, my attention, uh, uh, can be made uh, to wander. And uh, uh, it's exhilarating to stay awake and pay attention. Um, I just, uh, th that concludes my Jim Lipton-esque game. Uh, but I, I also did want to include a quotation from a writer, um, Wendy Wasserstein, with whom you've enjoyed. Um, you enjoyed a very long uh, collaboration. I think today uh, being the day of her memorial at Lincoln Center Theater, it just, we all, I wanted to just take a minute to acknowledge the extraordinary um, collaboration you two enjoyed. She wrote in the preface to the published version of An American Daughter that working with Dan, her constant collaborator was her most satisfying theatrical experience. She called Dan one of those rare creatures with a wonderful analytical and theatrical mind. That's why I came to rehearsals. Yeah, 
I didn't reach out to actors um, because I felt that that was perhaps um, uh, putting them on the spot just a little bit too much um, for the process you engage with with actors in. Uh, though I can tell you from my own experience, um, I have heard Cherry Jones say, I will do anything Doug Hughes asks me to do. And I've heard Cynthia Nixon tell the story where she read Rabbit Hole and then learned Dan was the director and then said yes in that order. Um, and so I just thought we could maybe open this up to talking a little bit about um, both the casting process and the collaborations with actors that you kind of come back to um, over and over again and how those relationships evolve. You know, I, I uh, uh, something that taught me a great deal about uh, collaboration uh, with actors was the uh, uh, experience I had in, in Seattle. Because for a, a time, um, I mean, it was just, I can't say enough about it. Because, you know, it's always great to leave your hometown. Even if your hometown is, you know, Manhattan, it's great uh, uh, to leave your hometown and to be airlifted into this place. And it seemed like a wildly radical thing to do back then, you know, uh, Seattle. But where there was this, um, you know, tucked up in that odd corner of the map, a real theatrical community and filled with wonderful actors, some of the best actors I've ever worked with in my life, people who uh, were, uh, uh, took more uh, physical risks uh, with a character, people who uh, brought extraordinary bravery, people who could rehearse uh, a large part in Richard III and play a part in a Kaufman and Hart um, at night. And uh, just that climate of uh, uh, constant practice was so fantastic. Uh, again, in the, the reduction of uh, whatever terror or anxiety uh, there might be about it, it gave me uh, uh, the confidence to speak about uh, uh, you know, the evanescent or magical or mysterious process of hopefully coming up with some time on a stage that commands laughter or silence or awe in practical ways uh, because uh, it, it's not a conjuring trick. It's, 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 it's day labor and, uh, uh, and it requires, uh, uh, you know, uh, frankness. And, um, and I, I find that, um, you know, two actors recently I, I've worked with in, in fairly rapid succession or... Uh, <clears throat> Brian O'Byrne and uh, and Cherry. You know, I'd done a play with him. I mean, Brian, I I, I had to twist his arm to do doubt. I had to promise him that he could be American finally. If we let you be American, will you play the goddamn priest in in doubt? Um, and um, but I I always knew. I, I saw him in a. My sister was doing a. Production of uh, uh, Playboy of the Western World, one of my favorite plays. Uh, but she was doing it at the Irish Rep, and he played, you know, Philly Cullen, one of the drunks. And I thought, that man is an extraordinary actor. Not only is he an extraordinary actor, I know that I will do well with him. He and I will do well together. 
and I wanted to get to know him. You know, then in Dublin, I saw him do all those three Martin McDonough plays in, in one day. And when we did Frozen, I just called him up out of the blue. He was a little disconcerted. I just offered the play to him. I didn't know him terribly well. But I used it as a kind of calling card and an and offering. And that was a very, it was a, a wonderful rehearsal. I mean, I don't know, you know, people know the play at all. But much of the play is in monologue. But we rehearsed the play with everybody present all day long. We never divvied it up. And we tried to find a way to keep the three balls of, of these lives um, in focus throughout. And, um, and I just, uh, uh, I, again, I'm, I'm, words will fail me because I, I can only really speak in terms of uh, uh, his uh, love of invention, an old-fashioned love of effect to mess with their heads, to play with an audience. Yeah. Uh, I love that in him. And, and, uh, and I had to really twist Cherry Jones's arm uh, to do this play um, called Flesh and Blood. It was this end, you know, big, long, three-hour thing, you know, uh, based on a Michael Cunningham novel. And she said, I've never played a mother. I, I don't know if I can play a mother. I don't know, if, you know, I'm the, uh, uh, you know, this is a woman whose life kind of unravels and, and goes to uh, hell. You know, I'm used to the kind of Joan of Arc or uh, suffer, silently suffering uh, victim. Uh, you know, and we were having breakfast at the uh, bus stop cafe in Abingdon Square, and I'm, you know, I, I just, I, I, my belief that there would be no one better was contagious, I'm happy to say. I think that... In We're sorry, but this question was inaudible. The dream was to be able to grow the company to a sufficient size where you could find variety in the casting for the actors. Uh, but uh, um, finances being what they were, we couldn't do it. We never could get it beyond uh, a core company of 12 people, uh, which meant that the older gentleman played the old, older gentleman, et cetera, et cetera. Through, you know, and, um, um, and I had been raised in an acting company at the Actors Workshop in San Francisco, so my dream was always to somehow find that again. And, of course, that dream was pushing through a time that was very much pushing back at it all over the country. Um, and one of the reasons that I left Seattle, actually, uh, was because of the failure of my ability to pull that together. And uh, uh, I then thought, well, then I just want to work with the best people I can find. Uh, that I, I, I don't want to stay out in the regions. I want to go where I can find the very, very best actors and fill all the, the plays I can with the best people I can find. Uh, um, you know, then it does come down to matters of taste and it does come down to, to uh, seeing the potential of the character and the actor. That's the tricky part. That's the part that Doug is talking about. Yeah. Uh, we have just a few minutes. I know there are probably tons of questions uh, in and among our audience members, um, and we do have a few minutes to take a few. Um, I guess so. Raise your hand. I'll do my best to find you out there, and I'll probably repeat the question if my sense is that not everyone heard it. We have a question right here in the center. We're sorry, but this question was inaudible. 
And can you Never speak in specifics? <laughs> Over to you, Dan. <laughs> well, I, I, for me, it doesn't happen that often. Because I, I, I'm such a literalist that I sort of believe what's in front of me. Uh, so I'm not terribly critical when I'm in the theater. I, I mean, I can tell if something isn't working. Uh, uh, and uh, I can usually distinguish text from what I'm seeing on the stage, uh, but I don't. Uh, um, I, I, I'm usually interested in the action so much that I'm not. I don't, I'm not critical sitting out there in the theater as I would be at, at my own production. Uh, I would be very critical, but I but I suspend that a bit when I'm in a, in a theater, and afterwards I start to. Th- Try to determine why was I not connected as I thought I should have been. What what was wrong with it? Just like I- any audience would do, I think. And I, I I must say that I do find it delightful just simply to be a member of the audience who does not get to speak back, um, and uh, and that that uh, uh, to uh, watch something uh, unfold before me is is. Uh, uh, a delight uh, very often. I, I, I think that um, I do find that and I, I've been thinking about this a lot recently and I found myself saying in uh, rehearsal quite often to myself or with some actors I may say it to them uh, what you're doing is duplicating the writing. You're doing the you're attempting to do your job and uh, the author's uh, job. Um, uh, I, I think so much of the work you do in rehearsal is is forgetting that you are not omniscient. I'm speaking of of uh, uh, of the actor's uh, uh, job. That uh, it's so beautiful. Uh, it's such a privilege for an audience to realize that. Uh, uh, a peak moment, an extraordinary moment, uh, 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 a profoundly significant moment uh, for a character on stage, their radiance of that fact uh, instantly reduces the power of it to me. The fact that they're interested in radiating that uh, to an audience. Uh, When in fact... Uh, again, the, the theater is this microscope that's trying to get us to look at a moment of life and, and to realize, oh my God, it's all so important all the time. It's all so important all the time. And, uh, and, and if, if you find performances, or perhaps very often I think it's just uh, eager uh, direction, is, is, is struggling to reveal that to you. You don't have that wonderful, you're not given that wonderful godlike power as a member of the audience to see into uh, your fellow human being. Uh, right here, and then I promise I'll go back a little farther. We're sorry, but this question was inaudible. Well, nothing, go- nothing goes into the play that the author doesn't approve of. Uh, uh, so I- anything that you contribute uh, to uh, the meaning of the play immediately becomes the property of the author in the same way that if, a, if a, an actor came up with a line that the writer liked, that would be the writer's words. So the shadow appearing at the top of the stairs belongs to David Lindsay Bear. However, I thought it might be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> 
<coughs> because I wanted to raise that question uh, uh, as to whether she had actually done that or not. Do we have a question? She, she does deny it. And I, I would assume that she's probably correct, but, but subconsciously he says at one point, did you do it? Uh, it leaves the question yeah. open. Yeah. Uh, is there a question in the back that I can't see? I'm trying to be fair. If there is, yeah, right back there. Yes. We're sorry, but this question was inaudible. Uh, I think he actually named me and Doug, didn't he? <laughs> didn't he actually say... And Manhattan Theater Club, yeah, right. and the Roundabout, and Lincoln Center. And, you know... We wouldn't mind. We're really tired. We, uh, 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 um, I, I don't. I, I think the fact that there's a um, mixture uh, um, that um, Richard Greenberg uh, is doing plays at Lincoln Center and at uh, Manhattan Theater Club and at the Roundabout uh, is a good and healthy sign for the theater. And those subscribers for those theaters, and remember they are, they, they are supported by those subscribers, they're very lucky that they're able to see those plays. Uh, it's a measure of, of Greenberg's uh, uh, breadth as a writer rather than about the uh, sort of uh, McTheater uh, 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 um, uh, idea of, of the, the New York nonprofits, um, because if you were just look a little deeper into into the into the the number of new writers that have worked at Lincoln Center that work at MTC and that work at roundabout there isn't really that much crossover I must say that I, I think uh, the um, the notion that um, Richard Greenberg and uh, John Shanley, I think, have uh, earned the right to a career. That it's the idea that somehow uh, we uh, murder our young uh, uh, so uh, arrogantly in the theater that uh, no one is really allowed to mature uh, in this curious work. Um, Richard, uh, John Shanley is 55 years old. He's going to write a lot of wonderful plays. Uh, Richard Greenberg is, I think, uh, 47, 48 years old. He's been writing plays since, he, both of them have been writing plays since they were, uh, 21 against staggering odds. I mean, staggering odds. They have, uh, persisted. And uh, the fact that for a season or two, uh, their work is being uh, celebrated uh, seems to me not necessarily a bad thing. We have time for just about one more question. I'll take it from the center right here. We're sorry, but this question was inaudible. I, I have certainly said that to myself uh, any time I drop in and have a look at something. I mean, I, I don't, it is, a, um, I remember, I mean, in a, recently, uh, we, I, I found that the whole, um, the phenomenon of, uh, of uh, success and an audience, an audience's, uh, eagerness to 
become attached or a part of that success with uh, doubt during the whole sort of slew of, you know, awards and nominations and everything. I, I felt that, that that had begun to distort uh, the performance of the play. And, uh, and I found that my, my colleagues agreed with me, you know, and we went back into rehearsal uh, uh, for a while. Um, uh, and I thought, I thought to great, uh, uh, great advantage. I thought, I thought that some sort of first principles had been uh, forgotten. So that's a, that's a, a, a recent uh, uh, example. Uh, you mean, no, that, that uh, how, do you look at it and think, oh, if I had only? As opposed to, yeah, yeah. I, I think, that, I don't know about you, but I, I don't usually have the experience when I see a production of mine, whether it's after it's been open for a while or opening night, where I think, boy, that's perfect. <laughs> uh, you, you usually don't, you, you, because the process is all, uh, ever evolving. There's a point at which you have to stop, but the mind keeps thinking, well, wait a minute. Uh, of course, you can't go back into rehearsals, unfortunately, the way things are. So you, you pretty much leave it as it is. Uh, I think probably with Shakespeare, uh, um, that's something where you love to come back to it time and time again, just to see, oh, what if we try this? Uh, um, uh, you're never going to get it right, uh, but you keep trying. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I know that when I did uh, a play I love, you know, The Winter's Tale at, at the Guthrie about uh, 12 years ago, I, I was certain that I knew exactly what I was doing with Sicily. And I was terrified of what I was doing with uh, the scenes in, in Bohemia. And I felt as though I was just... Uh, 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 shooting from the hip in the rehearsals uh, in Bohemia and uh, sort of taking, putting my dreams on stage and walking in the next day. And, and at one point I was so panicked about it, I began to think, this is, this is, so, this is such a shovel full of uh, 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 id uh, that I better, uh, I better uh, uh, cut a lot of it. And uh, unfortunately, somebody was uh, Kathy Zuber, the costume designer, said, well, you can't cut that thing. And of course, Sicily was uh, where I failed. And I would love, I would love, I would so love to do uh, The Winter's Tale again and, and get the, the first two and a half acts of that play better than I did them the first time. Uh, I, I think about that all the time. Because I was, I was... I was trying to nail it. I was, I was trying to pin that butterfly to its mounting. And, uh, uh, and, and uh, uh, perfectionism overtook me, and I, uh, <clears throat> I forgot the joy. Um, I wanted to end on one final question, which I, I think I could be accused of both over-sentimentality and perhaps even cheesiness. But I think what we do, what you gentlemen do, is very hard. I think what directors do is very difficult. Um, and yet we do it because we are trying to uh, make good art. 
But I just wondered if you could talk about what's your wish for the theater moving forward? I mean, we've talked a lot about what's behind you, and now I'm interested in what's ahead. What's your wish for what for the future? You know, I, I wish I've, I, I felt this when I was um, running a theater, certainly. And uh, I probably, uh, I, I wish there was some way uh, a, a concerted effort uh, made, and uh, this this will sound like a cheesy word, to glamorize the phenomenon of of going to the theater, to to uh, to you know the thing that made me really want to be a director was the example of uh, the public theater, Joseph Papp's public theater, and what that meant, what that meant. Uh, there were all sorts of compromises. There were all sorts of problems. There was all sorts of anxiety. But the idea that, there, that there, this secular communion is very, very good for us. It is the most, and, 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 and at a time when I think <clears throat> democracy is in peril, the republic is in peril, uh, a, a place that is this primitive, this simple, uh, an open place where uh, people, people's job is to try to walk on stage and tell the truth. Uh, uh, more people should be uh, attending it. Uh, it what, what it has to offer, be, simply because it's the place where the money isn't where there isn't the taint of commercial gain to uh, the extent that we find in, in a- absolutely everything from uh, the products that are placed in uh, 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 the, uh, uh, the films uh, uh, we see. It, it, just, the, the, it just may be... Uh, it's, it's a wonderful place for people to experience the dignity of being treated as citizens instead of consumers... And I wish there was some way uh, all of us uh, uh, could formulate a message and, uh, and send that signal. Uh, I mean, my God, though, I'm inclined to be optimistic because there's so much more theater now than there was in this country than in the so-called golden age uh, of the theater. These instant, I mean, we, Dan would not have uh, the career he's had. I would not have the career he's had without these extraordinary outposts of places like the Guthrie in Seattle and La Jolla and the McCarter and, and these places where one can, if one is damn lucky, stay in constant practice. But, uh, but the, the, the glamorizing of this, the exhilaration of this, I mean, at the memorial for Wendy, you know, Dan and I were just saying before we got out here, this, uh, you know, Wendy started this thing <clears throat> about bringing children uh, from schools in the city to the theater and then saying, well, what did you think? And would you bring your parents? And what did you make of this show? And what did you make of that show? And what didn't you care about uh, this show? And, I, and uh, it, it, it was uh, uh, staggeringly uh, uh, you know. And I suppose that's where the work begins. And the work is going on all the time. Uh, I just wish it would... Accelerate. I wish my uh, love for it could be made even more contagious. 
I, you know, bravo, that's my feeling exactly. Um, I, you know, I wish for a time where the theater was more important. Uh, I, I wish for the theater to be important again. And though the, as literature, I suppose, more than anything else, um, that um, I, I, I think, um, um, yes, we can increase theater going, um, but, you know, how many plays do we actually have on Broadway that we take seriously? Uh, in a year, and most of those are done by the nonprofits. Uh, I I feel, you know, I, I look for an age of playwriting. I guess that's what I look forward to. Uh, when writers will feel that they'll be taken care of in the theater and not go to Hollywood, but stay stay at their wheels. I hope you will join me in thanking these two gentlemen. I know I've enjoyed myself. I hope you did too. Thank you so much. Again, this is Hal Prince, and thank you for listening to Masters of the Stage. This program was made possible by support from the Society of Stage Directors and Choreographers, the National Labor Union celebrating five decades representing the needs and aspirations of its members online at ssdc.org. The online series is presented in collaboration with the American Theatre Wing, dedicated to illuminating how theatre is made through the words of the people who make theatre. Visit them online at americantheaterwing.org.